Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. You know, God is, is so good. Um, we, we've been celebrating all this, that, that Christ has come initially, and I, I called Joel, or he called me yesterday, and we started talking about this, and I was explaining that we were, we're talking about the return of Christ. We'd already picked out that song. That is it. We are like a dry waiting for the return of Jesus. Man, that's a thrill to me to get to see that this morning after marinating in this all week long. So I really can't wait to get into this, and so... I uh, hope you're ready to go. Are y'all ready to get in the Word of God? Yeah. yeah? Okay, good. I love it when you guys respond like that. Y'all are the best, by the way. Um, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 eventually, uh, but we're going to get there, uh, and <laughs> I promise we're going to also be in Acts 1 if you want to mark a couple of those spaces and a few other spots. And we're a little bit topical this morning as we have been through Advent, and here's the deal. We've been celebrating this month, the coming of Jesus, and we're now in, I guess, the fourth, or some would call it even the fifth week of Advent, and uh, this week is often used, not everybody, but often used to celebrate and look back at, sort of as a reminder to remember that it's not just that Jesus has come once, but he is going to return, and we look forward to the second coming, and God makes a huge deal about this. I, I think this is maybe a surprise to some of us, because we don't naturally sit and think about this all the time, but God makes a huge deal about this. He wants us to remember and anticipate the return of Jesus. And so his second coming or second advent, honestly, is a thrill to think about. It's a little different than the first. In the first coming, he came as a baby, as the humble, suffering servant that was going to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God offered in our place. But in the second advent... He's going to come as a great king, coming on the clouds with the hosts of heaven as the king of kings, and man, it's going to be incredible when he shows up. This is how Revelation described it. I told you we'd get there. Don't worry. This is Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 13. This is how John described it in Revelation. Excuse my voice. I'm doing the best I can. It's just, I I get what you're doing there. It makes sense. But here we go, Revelation 19, 11 through 13. Then I saw heaven opened up. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. So today we're going to read what Peter actually says Uh, about this, and it's a reminder to remember for the church. It's a reminder to remember the Lord's promise to return. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, it's kind of odd that we need to be reminded of this. I mean, isn't this kind of crazy when you think about how impactful and amazing this is? But we often have trouble remembering that Jesus is coming. I mean, why is that? I, I think if we're honest, it's because it's been at least 2,000 years since Jesus made this promise to return, right? It's been a little while. I I think it's okay to kind of admit that that's been maybe longer than the early church even thought. 
And since then, billions of people have lived on earth. They have lived and died. And pretty much life has gone on the same way it has. Time has passed. And so has the sense of urgency in the Lord's return. And as we live, everything in our life sort of affirms and tells us that things will always be as they are. And we get lulled into this place of comfort. And we take for granted that tomorrow is going to come without fail. And to some, this may not seem like a big issue. But however, Peter and the rest of the apostles would cringe at the thought that we would have a passe sort of yawn attitude towards the second coming of Christ. And in fact, uh, the New Testament refers to the second coming over 300 times. I don't know if you did that. So if you look at it, almost 5% of the New Testament is about the return of Jesus. I mean, this is a big deal that the apostles, that Christ himself wanted us to understand that he's coming back. And we need to be reminded to remember for a few really key reasons. I'm going to give you these. We need to be reminded to remember this because not only does God want us to remember, it is good for us to be mindful of these things. And when we are, uh, these, these two things seem to come to mind that we tend to forget. First is this, that this world has a purpose and that this world is coming to an end. Okay, this world has a purpose and that it's coming to an end. God has a, a, a landing place for the world that he created. It's not going to go on forever. It has a purpose and it will come to an end. The second is this, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? Isn't that exciting? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is going to happen. And so in 2 Peter, Paul, Paul reminds us of this thought, and he asks this question that has been haunting me all week long. Here it is. It's a, a, if you are already at 2 Peter, uh, we'll read the whole passage in a second. But in verse 11, he says this. He says, since all these things, talking about the world that God has created and everything around us, are thus to be dissolved. Here's the question. What sort of people ought we to be? If, if Jesus is going to return, if this world has a purpose, if it's coming to an end, if there will be a new heaven and a new earth, if everything around us is going to be dissolved, he asks this question, what sort of people ought we to be? Isn't that a heavy question? It just kind of lands right on your chest. It's like, well, if all this is true, then how are we supposed to live let me set this up before we read the passage. Paul is writing this second letter, okay? He's writing this letter to combat false teachers who were claiming that Jesus would not return. So this has been going on since Peter's day. People got impatient. They started to doubt that Jesus was going to actually return. And this was no small matter to Peter. Of course, you see that the, the return of Christ was everything to Peter. I mean, if you, if you ponder and think about his life, he lived, Peter lived his life in view of these truths, that Jesus was coming back, and that this world would be one day destroyed and eventually replaced, renewed with a new heaven and a new earth. This was central to how Peter operated. Let me put this in perspective. Peter, he wrote this near the end of his life, and, and some scholars actually believe that he may have already received the death sentence. You know, the death sentence that he would be he would be killed. He would be executed. And he asked that they were going to crucify him, but he asked him to get crucified upside down is the way the, uh, the tradition has it because he didn't feel himself worthy to die the way that Jesus did. But think about Peter's life. This is at the end of his life he writes this. Before his life, think about him. Peter saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And he was one of the three that were closest to Jesus. In fact, 
He got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration where he saw the glory of Jesus unveiled. I mean, this would have been astonishing. Peter saw this with his own eyes. He watched Jesus live a perfect life, speak the words of life, and even bring several people back to life. He saw Jesus operate in power, and then he heard Jesus claim that one day he would be crucified and would raise from the dead three days later, and then Peter was one of the first to see the empty tomb. And then, after he did raise, Peter saw the risen Jesus in his glorified body and had breakfast with him. Okay, I mean, this is Peter's life, okay? Eats breakfast with the risen Jesus. And later, he gathered with the rest of the believers. Many of them gathered on the Mount of Olives. And after Jesus and his glorified body appeared to over 500 he gave them the great commission and then ascended into heaven. And he watched and watched as Christ ascended into heaven. And of course, Peter was there as the angel of the Lord looked down and scolded them for staring up into the sky and told them to get to work, right? Peter saw Jesus ascend. And then he saw this. This is what happened in Acts 1. If you're there, I'm in verse 6 through 11. This is what the way that Luke describes it in Acts so, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the mission is connected with the return. I just want you to get this. In verse 9, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, they're standing on the Mount of Olives, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Can you imagine seeing that? This, I, I've always wondered what this would look like. He says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them, stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, this is context, okay? This is the author of the letter was standing here watching as Jesus went up. He heard Jesus give them the mission to go and be witness, the promise of, of power that would come as they went out into the world and the promise to return. And he heard all of that with his own ears. And so Peter knew something that we often forget, and he was empowered by this. There's the deal. that Jesus finishes what he starts every time. He finishes what he starts. No matter how confusing it gets, no matter how dark it gets, or hopeless things may seem, he never gets slowed down. He never gets impeded. I mean, think about this. Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times. And at the darkest moment, when Peter thought all was lost, they're going to crucify the Messiah, everything is falling apart, Jesus was doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He was completing and finishing what had been prophesied for hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, the deliverer would come. Not for a second was he out of control. Not for a second was he wondering what's going to happen here. Jesus was the son of God moving in all of his glory, even when all seemed lost. And here's what Peter understood. If, and this is what we've got to understand. If God is in control of the beginning, enough to prophesy what's going to happen at the end and then make it happen, then he is also in control of everything that happens in between, right? He is able to do anything he decides to do in that time. 
And so if he can control all of that, if he can control the outcomes in my life, Peter was aware of this. And if God can fulfill his purposes in the world, surely he can fulfill his purposes in me. And so Peter, being aware that this world is coming to an end, and that one day Jesus will return, that this world has a purpose, there is a mission while we're here, and one day it will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth, being sort of seated in that story gave Peter power and energy and faith to trust that God will do what he ought to, what he, what he said he would do. And so this is the same Peter. We're going to read 2 Peter chapter 3 now. But this is the Peter who asked this question. That he's earned the right to ask a very challenging question to us. If this is true, if all these things around us are going to be dissolved, then what sort of people ought you to be? Struggle with that a second. If all that is true, what kind of people should we be? So my, my hope this morning as we look at this is that our hearts and our minds get stirred up the way that Paul, Peter tells us he wants to and that we're reminded to remember Jesus' promise to return, that our faith in these truths are going to produce missional lives, all right? Missional lives that are filled with hopeful obedience that will make sense to a Peter that saw all he saw and that would make sense to Jesus himself. So let's read uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 13 for now. It's a lot, so hang on tight. Here we go. It says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is his goal. I'm trying to stir you up. I know that if I can remind you of some truths, it's going to stir you up. That's my prayer that God will do that in our hearts today. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now are now existed are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for. Of, of the ungodly. Verse 8 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And here's this question. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord of God, of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But... According to his promise, we are waiting for a new for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Oh, Lord, come quickly, right? So let's, that's a beautiful passage. There's a lot in there. Let me unpack kind of what that said. I know that's a big chunk of Scripture to be read, although Scripture commands us to, to have the public reading of Scripture. And sometimes we only do a public reading of a verse. And I think we need to learn the discipline of hearing a chunk of Scripture. This is only chapter 3 of a very short three-chapter letter that would have been read all at once. So I trust that you guys can hang with me. But let's unpack what was said in this particular piece of it. He starts off, Peter saying, I'm seeking to stir up in you a sincere mind as you anticipate the return of Christ. He wants to stir us up in anticipation for what is to come, knowing that that's going to bear fruit in our life. And he's keenly aware that the promise of Jesus' return is going to change us. It's going to produce a sincere faith in us as we trust that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And it's going to affect how we live. Now, Peter, and when he wrote this letter, was combating a heresy called hedonism. Now, some of you guys are aware of what that is. Basically, hedonism is, if it feels good, do it. If we're just animals here on earth, then why shouldn't we just do what we want to do, do whatever makes you happy? Why hold back? If this life is all there is, then eat, drink, and be merry, right? That's hedonism. And if Jesus is not going to return, then, hey, hedonism starts looking pretty good. Listen. Christians, if you're hazy and a little bit confused on whether or not you believe that Jesus is going to return, what is there to keep you from chasing the, the temptation to pursue pleasure for the rest of your days and chase it right off a cliff? Listen, the, the reality is this, that Jesus is going to return. So if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow him, you've got to be straight on this issue. If you're doubting his return, you're not going to be able to deal with some of the, the struggles in your life. And so in response to hedonism and this doubt, Peter challenges them to remember, a reminder to remember the words of the prophets and then and the commands of Jesus as well. So he points them back and says, look back and see how long this has been predicted that the same God who created all of this, who brought this to pass, is the same God that's working this out now. The God who successfully predicted the future in the past, that's a weird sentence, is able to complete what he starts and is able to predict that he will return. He's able to do this because he understands this, that God is in control and faithful to keep his promises. When he shifts gears, he says that scoffers are going to mock there are going to be people who are going to come alongside and mock us and literally make fun of us because we're saying that Jesus is going to return. And, and I mean, they're going to say things exactly like this. You may have heard it. They're like, if Jesus was going to return, where has he been? It's been 2,000 years. He said he was going to return soon. It doesn't feel like it's been soon. 2,000 plus years is a long time. Like, are you sure he's coming? You know, and people want to scoff and say that he's not coming at all. And then They've always done this, and they will until Jesus does return. But you've got to know that, that God is faithful to keep his promise. Now, while this scoffing kind of sounds familiar to us, it's common argument against Christianity, the early church had to deal with it as well. They, they honestly, I believe, thought that Jesus would return in their lifetimes. In fact, you can see that from some of the choices that they made. They sold their possessions and lived like there was literally no tomorrow. I mean, they went for it. They, uh, they thought he was coming quickly. Some of the advice that Paul gives in his letters, sometimes you feel like that, that's probably influenced by the fact that he thinks that Jesus is just around the corner. They took risks 
to share the gospel. They stayed on mission. They were hyper-focused on what God has for them. They were building God's kingdom, not their own kingdom, because they were so aware that whatever kingdom that they tried to, to build, whatever fame or, or achievements that they tried to pursue, that those were temporary in view of what God's eternal kingdom was going to be. So there's nothing wrong with pursuing good things and accomplishing things, but all those things are for the glory of God, not instead of the glory of God. Does that make sense? And as we do that, it makes a huge difference, but they pursued it that way. At different stages of New Testament history, later on, you see that there were groups of Christians that made assumptions about the timing of the Lord's return. They really did. They tried to figure out when he was coming, just like we would like to know. And some would even try to predict a date, and whenever this happens, uh, the groups that predicted this often recklessly put their, their lives in danger and, and, and took risks that weren't necessarily uh, the best thing for them to do, and they ignored what Jesus said, that we can't know the day or the hour. And so this is repeated, Mark 13, 4. It says, of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Now, people keep saying, this keeps happening. People say, I'm the exception to the rule. God has revealed to me when he is coming, and he's coming on this date. There's a, a famous story of, of William Miller, uh, who was a, a Christian leader. He predicted Jesus would return between March 21st, 1842, and March 21st of 1843. Some of you guys that are good at math and get chronology, you history buffs have figured out that he was not right, that Jesus has not returned. So when time passed, and the disappointment of Jesus not showing up that year sort of hit the Millerites, which is what they were called. There was a whole group of people that followed Miller. Their, their movement began to experience a ton of disappointment, all right? So uh, like any good leader, he wants to, to spice things back up. So Miller dared to predict another date, saying he miscalculated before, all right? So he goes out and he calls his shot and says that, Jesus would return October 22nd, 1844, just a year later. Now, people really believed this. This was a craze. And in Philadelphia, there's a sign that was, that was displayed on a store that read like this. This shop will close in honor of the King of Kings, who will appear about the 20th of October. Get ready, friends, to crown him Lord of all. Now, that's a great sentiment, and I love that everything but the date in there, we need to be ready that the Lord is coming, but he said October 20th. Well, most of the Millerites, they got excited about this. They gave away their possessions. They made sure that they had uh, the right clothing, and they gathered together. This is what, and they, they wore white robes, and they would gather together. And October 22nd, 1844, they all were gathered in their robes, waiting for the return, expectantly and waiting for Jesus to show up. And honestly, can you imagine their disappointment when they found out they were wrong, that Jesus is not coming back? I mean, I love the heart behind that. We long to see Jesus coming, but that desire, when it shifts gears and we want to pick a date, man, it creates some issues. So five years later, Miller died. William Miller died. And when he died, on his tombstone was placed these words, at the appointed time, the end shall come. <laughs> and it, it finally learned his lesson. And we can't know when the end is going to come. We can't know the, the hour or the date. But here's the thing. 
just because we can't know that doesn't mean that we can coast. And so there are two mistakes. There are two ditches we can get in, so to speak. And it's a mistake to believe that Jesus has guaranteed that he's going to return tomorrow or on a specific date. And it's also a mistake to believe that Jesus is guaranteed that he will not return tomorrow. We do not know. Like, he really could return before we finish this service. Like, he really could. Now, well, we don't know that, but he could. And so to live life, to live our lives thinking that he's not going to return because we don't know what day he's going to return is to make a tremendous mistake, almost as grievous as predicting a day. You see, this is all based on this, and what Peter is continually referring back to is this, that God, the same God who created the earth with his word, will never break his word. And when Jesus comes back, when he returns in his second coming, his name will be the word of God. Do you get this? Like, his word, he doesn't break it. And so if Jesus says, I'm coming back, he's coming back. There's no doubt about it. So... If we get all of this and we see, well, then we have to ask, well, why has he waited so long? And in this passage, we see this. It says this, that it's not because he's tired. It's not because he's worn out. It's not because he's lost interest or lazy, okay? It says that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's, he's, he's working his plan. He is allowing for people to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. And before I go a step further, let me say this. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then his slowness is for your good. And I beg you today, repent and believe on Jesus' name and be saved and enter into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what will happen when, when Jesus returns? What will happen? All right, and, and this is, Kind of intense, and there is no way. Some of you guys who are big into this, you are going to be disappointed because I am not going to be able to get into a whole big, uh, all the eschatology and everything else there. Don't, we're not going to go there completely, but I do want you to get this. When he returns, this is sort of called the day of the Lord. And sometimes when we hear the day of the Lord, we're like, yay, the day of the Lord. But this is not necessarily something that we as Christians are, I mean, we are excited that he's coming and whatever God does is good, but this is not, they're not going to make a Hallmark movie about the day of the Lord. It's not going to be pretty. Now, Jesus is, it's described in, in Revelation. It's not, it's not something that we're looking forward to in, in a, a happy way, although we have joy in knowing that God is going to do things. Here's the deal. This is when his wrath will be poured out on earth and his enemies. Now, without getting into a lot of detail, I just I feel like I need to tell you, listen, I'm begging you, if you are not a believer, choose you this day whom you will serve. Because the day of the Lord will come. It will come. And when it comes, he will provide a justice that has not been here on earth. Heed his warning. Do not oppose Jesus and reject the Savior because there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Come to Jesus and lay yourself down. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in the work that Christ has done for you on the cross and enter into a joyful and beautiful relationship with the King of Kings who has worked all of this for your good and his glory that he might save you and bring you into his new heaven and his new earth 
to show you his love and his power and his goodness and overwhelm you with peace and hope and joy and love that we talked about a few weeks ago. This is how he's done that, and he's given it to us. It's free to us. It costs Christ everything. It is free to us. By grace through faith, we receive the salvation. And so I beg you, receive the salvation that God has given you. So he is going to come as judge on that day. And then he is going to come as, as one who restores. He's going to restore things. The natural world, this material world that we are in, this physical world, will eventually, when he comes, will be freed from the curse, the subjugation to futility and corruption and death will be over. And this is Paul, he's speaking of this new heaven and new earth. He says, the earth, the sky itself will be freed. This earth will be a new earth. Man, he's going to recreate things and it changes things for us. Knowing that he's going to do that changes how we approach our lives here. Listen to Romans chapter 8. This is verse 18. You don't have to turn now. I'll read it to you. Just listen. This is Paul in another letter. He writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he's speaking of what is to come, right? For the creation waits with this eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, is this, this, is it now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Listen, this, it changes how we live. Being in view of this new heaven and this new earth, the glory that is to be revealed changes how we live today. And when we look at the present sufferings that we're going through today, which that sounds so simple, but it's so significant really. I mean, think about the real suffering that is there. Some of you have faced that even over the holidays. You've been acutely aware that things have not gone right in your family. And maybe you felt the, the weight of suffering in this world and you had a realization that this place is broken and it desperately needs to be healed and restored. You lost a dear brother in Christ and praise God that Rick is in heaven with Jesus right now. And without that hope, we would grieve like the rest of the world. But now that we know he is there, dancing and celebrating with Jesus. Praise God. Rick is really there. He can see Jesus. We don't yet, and that's why we call it hope. But it's just as real. It's sitting where we are as it is to our dear brother Rick right now. It's beautiful. <laughs> He's going to restore Listen, this is cool, though. This is how he does it. Just as creation followed men into corruption, like men led the way, we sinned against God, and later the earth was corrupted in the very same way as Christ has led the way for our redemption. When Christ returns, the earth is going to try and get free like we are free. God is going to free it like we are free. Does that make sense? We kind of lead the way. He heals his kids, and he restores his kids, and the earth has to suit them. I love that. 
It's just beautiful. I don't know why that means a lot to me to see the order of that, that God is going to work there, but it does. There are a couple of descriptions that, that help us look forward. In Revelation 21, it says this. John wrote, I see a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, praise God, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And Isaiah Hundreds of years before, says, Behold, I create a new, new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. There will be, as Peter says, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So let's get back to our question. How do we apply this to our lives? I've got a grasp of this passage. How do we work this? What does this mean for us? And I want to do this for, for two different groups here. First off, Briefly, for those of you who are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the application starts with a simple question. It's, it's this. Do you trust that Jesus will keep his word? He really did exist. He really was here. There's historical evidence. He said he would raise from the dead. He did. He also said he would return, and he's going to. And, and listen, if you're not a believer, and you're beginning to think that maybe Jesus can call his shot twice, and believe me, he can He's done it over and over and over again. If you really believe that he's going to return, if you trust in his word there, if you do, then it's easy. I'm just telling you, repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus for salvation. Acts 3, the same Peter who wrote this letter said this to all the people gathered around. He said, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Repent that your sins may be blotted out. Praise God. Listen, God does not desire to judge you. It says that he desires that none should perish and that all should come to repentance. He loves you. And listen, I get it. If you're here, it kind of maybe a scoffer would have been a good description. When you think about the, the coming and you think about people standing in the street with the sandwich boards, the end of the world is near. And maybe that's been funny to you. And maybe that's not the right way to go about it. But in bottom line, maybe that's been kind of a joke. Listen, can I say this? Like, I get it. It sounds a little crazy when you say it out loud that the world is going to end. Like, if you say it a certain way, you're like, wow, that does kind of sound crazy. That you will face your maker and that. It could be any second. That's a lot to take in. But can I remind you of this? Isn't it also completely crazy how broken this world is? I mean, isn't it also crazy you know, there's something inside of us that longs to see it restored, that believes that we were made for more than a brief little life here on this broken planet full of, of death, let's be honest, tears, pain, abuse, murder, Slavery, racism, abortion, hatred, evil. This is what is present in our world right now. That's what's crazy to me. And doesn't it make sense that Jesus might return? Which is harder to accept? That Jesus, that God will return to set things right and redeem his creation? Or that this is just the way things are going to be? That God doesn't care anymore? Listen, if you believe that Jesus was a real man... And that he said he would die and raise from the dead three days later. And he did it. And then he appeared to 500 people and he says, I'm coming back. If you believe that he is going to come back, 
And please understand this. He's going to set the world right. And I don't think that's very crazy at all. That he's going to bring justice to the wickedness and the broken. And listen, if you've been hurt, and if your family has endured incredible amounts of pain, if you've seen the enemy, Satan, destroy and steal and kill and destroy, the day the Lord starts sounding like a good thing, that God will one day put his enemy under his feet, and one day he will get what is right for him. But that judgment is for Satan and his angels. It is not for you, and God has made a way of escape, and he's offered Jesus Christ. Please come to Jesus. But for Christians, we have to answer the simple question as well. Do we trust that Jesus' word is true? And if it is, then we have to answer Peter's question. If all these things are going to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And so let's look at how Peter suggests that we should live in light of Christ's return. We're going to wrap it up here. But look at the rest of the chapter in verse 14. He says, therefore, so he's going to answer his own question. He says, therefore, beloved, speaking of the church, this is to us, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Wow, that's a tall order. Let's talk about that in a second. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters. It's cool to hear, to hear Peter talk about Paul's letters, right? It makes me feel better because it says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I'm like, yes, Peter. It is so hard. If you ever read Romans and Ephesians, it is hard to understand. <laughs> he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, this is where he focuses in, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to, to the day of eternity. Amen. So four quick things, and we're going to race through these because I think you get this. The first one is this. How, how are we supposed to live? What sort of people ought we to be? Well, first, the best way to describe this, we don't have time to get into some of the parables that Jesus told, but I'll simplify it as this, that we wait like a bride waits for her groom. And if you go back and listen on the internet to our series, We Are Church, you can listen to that, that we are the bride of Christ. And we look forward that we one day will it will be, God came sort of as an inauguration was his first coming, the consummation of his kingdom is his second coming, and one day we will be in heaven with him, receiving the, celebrating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ, and so we wait for him, and as we wait for him, we desire to be true to him, to trust in him, to wait patiently on him, to pursue purity while he is gone. We do these things, so we wait like a bride waits for her groom. The second thing is this, we wait without blemish. Now, I know this sounds like a tall order. It says, we are diligent to be found by Jesus without spot or blemish. How is that even possible, right? <laughs> How is that even possible? You can read this, and, and you should feel the encouragement to walk in holiness. I don't want to take that away. But if you think you can make yourself by figuring out maybe the New Year's resolution, how to be without spot or blemish, you can't. Only Jesus can accomplish that in you. Listen, Jesus came as the Lamb of God, as the spotless Lamb without blemish. And he, by going to the cross, 
purchased for you your forgiveness and also supplied you with his righteousness. And so if you want to be diligent to be found by Jesus without sin, then here's the deal. If you want to be found by Jesus without sin, there's only one way to do that, and that is by coming to Jesus by grace through faith and receiving forgiveness of your sin and allowing him to wash you white as snow with the blood of Jesus. That is the only way you will be considered that way. And so the diligence here is a call to faith and trust and belief that we walk without blemish. It's a call to walk by faith in the gospel. The third thing is this, that we wait as we grow in grace. We wait as we grow in grace. Now, this is cool because it's a progressive thing. The same grace that saved us causes us to grow in grace. Now, I want you to be careful here. This Peter at the end of his letter warns us that we can take the incredible grace that Paul does such a good job in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, pouring out all the grace of God on us and some people twist his words and say, well, God doesn't care if we sin or if we don't. And Peter says, don't, don't be fooled like those people into walking into lawlessness. Jesus does forgive our sin, but he also died for our sin. It is very serious to God, and he has called us to walk in, in, in obedience, hopeful obedience toward him. And so we, we're saved by grace, but we also progressively grow in grace. What sort of people ought we to be? We ought to be people who are growing in grace. The same grace that saves us, trains us. The same grace that saves us, causes us to, and empowers us to be obedient, to walk in hopeful obedience in him. So we rejoice in our salvation and we respond with our sanctification as we progressively become more and more like Jesus, not to achieve salvation, but to respond to the salvation that we've already been given. I hope that's clear. So Paul says this, that this grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. This, this grace empowers us to live godly lives as we wait. So our grace God's grace saves us. It also trains us. And finally, the last thing that, and guys, you guys want to come on up, but we're going to respond to this. We, we wait with a mission. Just before Jesus said he's going to return, he launches them out on a mission to take the gospel to the nations. And even in verse 15, Peter ends this, this chapter saying, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. He's like, Hey, don't let anyone sweep this under the rug. I mean, say whatever you need to say. Do it boldly. And look at, look at this with me. Look at Peter's life. Many of you know well. Look at Paul's life. They were both on mission for God. And I want to ask you a difficult question before he responds. And this is tough for me, too, because I'm, I struggle with this. Does my life affirm my hope in Jesus' second coming? I ask you, does, does your life affirm your hope in the second coming? Are you waiting for this blessed hope? Is your faith producing in you a missional life? Or are you just building your own kingdom? Are you building the new kingdom? Are you building his kingdom that will reign forevermore? Or are you building your own kingdom? Are you, are you living on mission are you living for the mission or are you living for the moment? 
There's a difference. When, we, when we're reminded to remember that this world has a purpose, that it's coming to an end, that there will be a new heaven, that there will be a new earth, man, our lives become more self-controlled instead of self-absorbed. We live upright lives instead of compromising lives. We pursue godliness instead of indulging selfishness. Today, we are reminded to remember the Lord's promise to return. We shouldn't need that kind of a reminder, but we do, right? Do you feel that in your own heart? That it's good to be reminded of this, that our God is coming. Peter recognized that we were going to be mocked, that we're going to be scorned. The second you walk out of this room, you can post on the internet or go and tell a friend, Jesus is coming soon, and they'll roll their eyes at you. But that does not change the fact that Jesus is coming. Listen. Our faith in Jesus stirs our hearts. Our faith in his return stirs us up in our minds in a way that produces missional living and hopeful obedience. So I challenge you to trust that he is going to return in this crazy, broken world that we're in. I pray that, that God will transform us in this fellowship into a fellowship that anticipates his coming so much so that it starts leaking out into our daily lives. So much so that our lives begin to look more on mission. That, that people around us hear the gospel. That there's a sense of urgency in our bones about sharing with people. Not just because we want them to be like us, but because we want them to be like Jesus and have the hope and joy and love that he has for them. Because of our love for them, it compels us, as Paul said, to share the gospel with our communities. We have to. There's an end to this. God has given us a mission, and we had to pursue that. And God has also called us into hopeful obedience, knowing that we are going to be in a whole new kingdom. And listen to this. this is, there's nothing like this. In 1 Peter, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And in chapter 1, he speaks of this inexpressible joy and hope that we have, that our, our treasure, our inheritance is stored in heaven for Moths can't eat it. Rust can't destroy it. Listen, it's as real. It's as real to us as it is to Rick. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because he didn't tell you what day doesn't mean he's not coming. He is. And I beg you, if you don't know Jesus, repent and believe. If you do know Jesus, let our lives be a testament to our faith as we anticipate his coming. If you would stand your feet, I want to invite you to come and pray as you need to. We're going to sing a song about returning back to the simple hope, the simple gospel, the simple understanding that this is the story that we're in. And I want to invite you to respond. If you are not saved, if you are not a Christian, if you never put your faith in Jesus, now is the time to tell somebody, Steve is back here, come and find one of us. We would love to tell you how you can enter into that. Whatever else you need to do, you do that. Father, have your way amongst your people. Be glorified in us. Transform us. Do what it is you have for us. We long for your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.